When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Fine Arts Podcast. It is wonderful to be back to talk about one of the fine arts of investing. Yes, diversification. fine arts. I see what you did there. <laughs> Uh, diversification in 30 minutes. Yes, that's the aim today. So we're going to give you a crash course on what diversification is, how it applies to you as an investor and just in your everyday life, really. People know of it as don't put all your eggs in one basket. I find that is a pretty, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I think we've spoken on the show. I remember when we had Tom from InvestSmart on the show about that analogy, just not making sense because no one's carrying a basket around with eggs and all the eggs from one chicken are Virtually the same. So I feel like that's not a great analogy. And what happens if you drop the basket? They all smash. They all smash. Yeah. Anyway, you could have two baskets and drop them. Anyway, we're going to talk about all this. So give us the a, a definition of diversification as it relates to investing, Kate, because we're going to expand on that beyond investing and show why it's important. But what is the investing definition? So the way I see diversification is not putting all of my investments in one single thing, and that's a way to lower my risk as an investor. So what do I mean? I mean, I'm not going to put all of my money into one single company or one single ETF even, or one single bond or anything like that. I'm going to spread it around into different types of investments. So I might use a handful of different shares, a handful of different ETFs to build my portfolio. If I'm going to do something a little bit spicier in my portfolio and invest in something a little bit riskier or less tested or something my friend told me about, I'm only going to do it with a small portion of my money. So it's a way to spread my money around in a way that's going to lower my overall risk. Yeah. 
I think people take that definition and they think that it applies to like a stock or an ETF bond case. But that is, that's, that's true. That's correct because you're exposed to one thing. But it goes more broader than that because people then think, well, I'll have 10 stocks. But sometimes it ends up with, well, people, you know, that circle of competence that we always talk about, people find investments that they're comfortable with. And oftentimes we might say, for example, in my case, I'm very fond of technology companies, right? That's what I like to invest in. And if you think about that, well, that's great. But then ChatGPT comes along and what happens to the competitive advantage of all of those technology companies? Well, maybe it changes the game for all of those businesses. So you can have, you can be under diversified, even if you have many different stocks, which we'll get to, or many different ETFs, which we'll get to. So I agree with you. But I think like another thing that people do is they tend to invest a lot of their money in Australia and not much overseas. Or they tend to invest a lot in, say, shares, but no bonds because they think that's boring. Or they invest in one property or they invest in a superannuation fund. So how else can people diversify? So we talk about investing. How else can they do it? I think a lot of us naturally diversify, whether it's having more than one friend, because if you want to do something on the weekend and the one friend is busy, well, then you've got to do it alone. So having multiple friends, you've got mm, different options. Okay. That's maybe a weird analogy, but you're, makes sense. you're reading different news sources, hopefully, fingers crossed that you're not getting all of your financial news from one single place. You're reading a different, like a range of books. You're getting, you're speaking to different people. Probably the one area that we don't diversify so much is like we're working in one job at a time, but we can also diversify by building connections outside of our industry and outside of our workplace. So we're probably already doing things to diversify our interests and our skills and our conversation topics. But I like to think about diversification in my own life in terms of not just in my investments, but also say banking. I'm not just using one single bank account. I have my money in a few different bank accounts for a range of reasons, but also when the systems of one of the banks go down, and this does happen, I can use a card to tap from another provider. Yeah, that's great because even the biggest banks can uh, momentarily go down. So just reading off your notes here, I'm going to steal some of your thunder here, Kate, but just so we got these in dot points. So some of the ways that you can diversify in your income sources, so you have side hustle, you can have two different jobs. Hybrid work is like the thing of the future. Portfolios, so the actual investment portfolios. In your case, you've spoken about this a lot, like extra skills to add to your, you know, career. So whatever that may be, reading widely outside of the topic. So in our case, it would be finance. Like we read a lot of stuff outside of finance or adjacent to finance, uh, looking for different opinions on topics. So that's different news sources. Uh, and even with superannuation, I, I've got something to add on that in a minute. But these are just some of the ways that people can diversify. And this is concept of spreading your risk. And diversification is often seen, I think Charlie Munger called it the only one of the only free lunches, but then also proceeded to say that um, only people who really don't know what they're doing need to diversify. So this is kind of like for and against diversification. But what tends to happen, in my opinion, at least, Kate, is that on the way up, diversification is like frowned upon. So when things are going really well, everyone's like, why do I need to diversify? Why do I need to do all these things? I'll just own tech stocks because they're going to do really well. I remember we received a lot of questions about two years ago from listeners who said, well, why don't I just own 100% stocks? Why would I own these bond things? And fair enough, bonds have sucked, to be honest, even since then. But imagine if you did just have 100% tech stocks or 100% in the NASDAQ ETF or whatever, your life would be very like precarious during that downfall. So on the way up, 
diversification looks like a waste of time. On the way down is when it pays for itself big time. And it relates to that Warren Buffett quote of rule number one is never lose money. And there's something to be said about diversification when you're getting started in any area of your life. When you're new, diversification does help you as you're learning and building those Mm. foundations. But at some point, sometimes you don't want to be diversified. For example, in a, in a relationship, you may just want to go all in on one person, which is what many of us do in our society. Or if you're starting a business, you might be putting 100% of your focus onto that one thing. You can't just start 10 businesses at once and hope that they'll all, or at least one of them will pay off. You might have to put all of your time, money and energy into one single thing. And so I guess there's a point where you can't diversify everything and sometimes you have to just go all in on something. Yeah, there are. There's. I learned a new term the other day of thruples, Kate. You're not bringing thruples up on this podcast, yeah. are you? <laughs> yeah, so there, like you said, there are some things that you can and can't diversify, but we see extreme examples of people that haven't diversified, which makes us think that we should too. So for example, like you look at like Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, and you see how extraordinarily wealthy he is or... Elon Musk or Oprah Winfrey or Rihanna with the Fenty beauty line. And you see them and you think, how do I get extremely wealthy? I start a business and I put everything into it. So focus is incredibly important, particularly if you run a business. It's just the only thing that matters in my opinion. However, when it comes to your portfolio, that's not necessarily the best outcome. It can lead to really good outcomes. Like people go back in time and they go, well, what happens if I put $10,000 on Netflix? I'd be worth 1.5 million today or whatever the number is. And that can work. But this the idea of diversification is you can't do better than the best investment in your portfolio, but you can't do worse than the worst. So there's like a spread of outcomes. And depending on how much you diversify, you'll be somewhere in that range. Now, if we just talk about diversification really quick as it relates to stocks and where the theory comes from, that would probably be a good thing to talk about quickly. So broadly speaking, in academic theory, there are two risks in investing. So there's the risk that you have, you're exposed to what we call a specific risk. So this would be an example of this would be like, imagine you're a property investor, which is the easiest analogy. You're a property investor and you put all your money into buying one house and then the house next door comes up for sale. And you think, well, I've just made money on this house. I'll put money in that house. And then the next one. And all of a sudden, then you own three houses on the same street. What happens if that street is exposed to bushfire, a specific risk? So now all of your houses have burned down. But imagine if instead of putting the three houses on that street, you've got one there, you've got one in the other side of the city, and you've got one interstate. That bushfire hits, only one in three goes down. So this is an idea of you can diversify away some of that risk. So there's a benefit there. Now, when it comes to stocks, there's a broad amount of theory around this. And I could get quite technical, but I'll summarize it, is that once you have 10 individual stocks, so this is very important to understand what I'm about to say. You can, it's not just 10 random stocks. Like you can't just have 10 technology stocks because then you're still exposed to the same theme. But 10 companies that aren't exposed to the same specific risks. So like bushfire in the case of houses, you might have like cybersecurity and you might have this view on that. You do not want to be exposed to that same risk across the entirety of your portfolio. Because if one goes down, they'll all go down. So there's no point. The 10 stocks doesn't matter. You could own 100 of the same thing and they'll all go down. So what we're trying to find is 10 individual positions. And what we call, we in statistics, we call this correlation, how they relate to each other. If you have 10 individual stocks that are different, you remove or you capture 70% of the benefit of diversification. If you go to 30 positions that are random, so randomized as in like they don't re- react in the same way all the time, 
by the time you get to 30, it's basically, there's no point in owning more. That's purely from a risk perspective. It's not from like a returns perspective. So people in the past would race to 30 stocks and they think that's a diversified portfolio of 30 stocks. Obviously now we have ETFs, which allow you to build a core portfolio that quick and you might have exposure to, I think in the RAS core portfolio, I think there are around about, from memory, I can't off the top of my head, about 2,350 stocks across what the portfolios that we recommend as across a few different ETFs and a managed fund. Then there are a few thousand bonds in there as well. So you get that instantly with ETFs. So I'm not talking about that. But let's say, for example, you did use ETFs in this strategy. If you own the Hack ETF, another cybersecurity ETF, the Fang ETF, and insert tech ETF, whatever, they're all exposed to tech. So that's not, you're going to get probably over the next 10 years, you're probably going to get decent returns because technology is booming, but you're going to get a lot of risk. That's the specific risk. Now, this is the other part where people get confused is people think that you can diversify and you will be risk-free. That is not completely in no way true. So let's go back to our 10 stock example. So in the case of 10 random stocks, you've got West Farms, Telstra, BHP, Combank, Zero, which I own. I'm just trying to think of random examples. Insert from all different industries. All right, you've got 10 different stocks overseas as well as Australia. Now imagine that interest rates go up, which is bad for stocks. Like they have over the past year. Interest rate goes up. All stocks in that portfolio will fall. The reason is that interest rates affect all of them. You can't diversify that risk in your stock portfolio. That's called an undiversifiable risk or market risk. It's just the risk that you are investing. Now, there's the way we measure risk, Kate, which I know you wanted to get to, did you want to maybe chime in on this? Do you, How would you explain what volatility is? Well, I had a little definition that you wrote oh, okay. in my document, okay. but um, you wrote that in academic theory, risk is often called volatility, and that's measured by, it's going to be a bit technical now, so you can explain it if you want, the standard deviation in a company's historical share price or between the company's historical share price and the market. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for quoting my words so elegantly. <laughs> um, I probably had a few spelling mistakes in there. So, so the way academics measure risk is that random up and down. Now, in, I mentioned the, in the case of interest rates before going up being bad for stocks. Um, it's also bad for bonds, by the way. So if that happens, that's just like, the, you, you can quickly identify that that's all of the, you know, that's an obvious risk, right? You can't diversify that if you just own different stocks necessarily, right? You can diversify in other ways. I'll explain that in a second. But from a stock portfolio, you can't diversify that. There's no way to get rid of it. This is different to volatility, which is something that you can't identify immediately because it's typically short term. And this is the random ups and downs, the bounces, the the one day CBA is up 5%, the next day it's down 2%. And someone goes on the news and says, CBA fell 2% because broker from Morgan Stanley says it's not worth as much. It's actually got nothing to do with that broker from Morgan Stanley. They just try and find a reason, but it's actually completely random. That's volatility. And for any of the people that are into statistics or took four classes in it like I did, sad, low part of my life, but um, <laughs> I did it and I'm very much beneficial for it. I shouldn't say sad, but the volatility is just measured as standard deviation. So that just is like the, the bounces up and down, but it's historical. It's not forward looking. And another thing, you, you mentioned like the risk of a company versus the market. So what we might do is we might say, analyze uh, Telstra standard deviation and compare that to the Vanguard 
VAS ETF, so the whole market. And what we can do is we can compare Telstra versus that and the beta number, we call it beta, is basically just saying to us, what is the risk of Telstra versus the market? And if you invest in an individual stock, typically, unless it's like a really established blue chip stock, you expect it to be about the same, if not more. Like zero is a good example. That's a tech stock. Not many people understand it still after 10 years. It bounces up and down a lot. So it's going to have a high beta. Whereas say maybe like BHP, pretty well understood, you know, it's not going to have a high beta. So that's another way to measure it. But both of these things combined, this is what financial planners are paid for basically. Because if you build a portfolio with that in mind, you can actually minimize some of the effects of these things. Now, let me let me just backpedal now. We've spoken about how in a stock portfolio, you can't diversify something. It's called the market risk. You can't diversify that. But going back to our example of how interest rates would rise, what you can do if you abstract, so you come up out of the stock portfolio and then you look at your portfolio as a whole. Here, we can see you might have a property. Here, we can see you might have some cash. You may even have some investments in bonds and so on. So there's all these different pieces of your pie. Now, this is where you can diversify a lot of the risks. At this level, we can consider things like bonds, shares, overseas and Australian, cash, term deposits, and a whole heap of things in between. And depending on which asset class, we call these asset classes, depending on which one, we can expect some of them to perform better when interest rates go up. And so all of a sudden, now we have a tool in our kit. We can't, it's still going to bounce around, but we can start to soften the blows by pulling very subtle levers that are like, add a little bit more bonds, take a little bit away from cash. Uh, Add a little bit more cash, take a little bit away from shares. And we can slowly do that. It's called rebalancing. And we do that through time as a financial profession. And that is truly the best form of diversification from a financial perspective. Yeah, and I think that's the important thing to understand with these two types of risks is what we can control and focusing on, as you said, we can choose how we set up our portfolio. These are things we can do something about. We have power to decide how we build our portfolio. We don't have power to decide how the market's going to react on any given day. And so getting coming to terms with that and knowing, okay, I've diversified enough that I've built that portfolio to reduce risk and volatility. I'm still going to experience some. But also knowing that when I'm a long-term investor, the market will go up and it will go down and that's not something I can get away from. If I want to get away from that risk altogether, then I'm just going to have to keep it in a savings account. Yeah, exactly. And even in a savings account, you have the risk that if you do have more than 250 grand, it's kind of an IOU, isn't it? That and there's also the risk of inflation. The risk of inflation. Your purchasing power does decrease over time. Yeah. And this is why we say the biggest risk of all over your lifetime is not investing. It is the number one thing that will crush your financial hopes and dreams. And yet people are still so concerned because they don't understand this other stuff. But this, have you heard of the circle of concern or the circle of worry or these types of things or circle of influence? I think you might have mentioned it. Well, you gave me a book which talks about it. So I'll okay. bring it up now. <laughs> so basically there's three circles. What, the big circle, the circle in the middle, and the, t- the tiny little circle in the middle. And basically, there's three, there's basically these three levels of things you can and can't control. Circle of influence, whatever you want to call it. So in the very middle, we have the circle of control. These are the things that we definitely can control. Like, um, let's say like what we have for breakfast, these types of things. Then in the next circle, which is the circle of influence, here we don't have control, 
but we have some say in the outcome. So this is where you build your portfolio. Now here, what you would do, you can only, typically in this circle, you can only control the inputs. So here you can control what goes into your portfolio, but you can't control what comes out of it. So you can't control the returns. Now, if we step one circle further out, we've got this circle of concern. These are the things that typically worry us. Yeah, what we see on the news each night. And we have zero control over that. So the further you remove out, knowing what you can and can't control is really vital. We can control what goes into our portfolio, and that's typically set by our strategy. You can just write this down on a piece of paper. But we cannot control that thing which we call before volatility. That's going to happen. We can have some influence over it, though, because we can control which assets we put in our portfolio. It will always, it will always still be present, but we can have some influence over it. And so that's kind of where investing sits. Um, and the, the more you think about that, the more you realize that there's always going to be something that I can worry about, but whether or not I can control it is a different circumstance. And I think the danger if you're trying to control things that you can't control is that you keep touching your portfolio and you keep making adjustments thinking that this share or this adjustment or this ETF or just selling at this time and buying back in on this day is going to solve the problems that you can't control for. And I think that is one of the dangers. And that's why it's so important to know what's within your control and having that plan and then knowing things that aren't in your control. And we did an episode a while back on investment news and how do you actually deal with those headlines that are coming up day and day on CNBC, on the AFR, talking about billions of dollars wiped off the stock market or this is the next big company. How do you deal with that when it's coming at you thick and fast and you want to stick to your plan? Absolutely. So Kate, you bought a, I'll give, so people often think when they diversify, they're never going to make any money. And the answer is yes. And I'll explain that through an example. So you recently bought your second umbrella, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I got that one for free, but I did buy an umbrella. I, I bought a nice umbrella that was going to last for a long period of time. So I spent a bit more money on it. Okay. So this is how diversification can work is I, I gave you the example of you bought well, you've got an umbrella. So that, whichever business, let's imagine you bought both of those from the same business. You probably didn't, but if, if in this case you did, that business would have made some money from you, right? But then imagine in six months time, we're coming into winter now. And in six months time, we're coming into summer. You're not going to be interested in umbrellas anymore. You're probably going to be interested in ice cream because it's hot. So in the winter time, it sells umbrellas. In the summertime, it sells ice creams. Two totally different things. You could have said hats. That might have worked. Hats. Better. Okay, hats. Perfect. Sun hats. Yeah, hats and umbrellas probably makes more sense. <laughs> it's, a, it's a retail brand, right? Yeah, because I would, could buy it from a, an online store as well. Okay, perfect. But in this instance, if the business is run correctly, it's still going to make money no matter what happens. Whether it rains or whether it's sunny, the business is going to make money because it's going to sell you something that you need. And so... In this instance, the business is wonderfully diversified because it has two things which are completely not correlated. It wouldn't matter how many umbrellas they sell. It has no impact on how many hats they sell. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to find a portfolio of things that don't react in the same way, yet always make money. So Drew talks about this a bit. Uh, he and I talk about this a bit on the Investors Podcast. We say, like, we're not trying to build a portfolio to determine whether it's going to be sunny or whether it's going to be rainy or whether it's going to be an average of 36 in January. We're not trying to do that, but what we are trying to do is prepare for any of those weather events. And so as you build your portfolio of investments, that's what we are talking about. So having multiple different ETFs and having multiple different things for different environments, for different weather conditions. And that's why you hear of this thing called the all weather portfolio that has, I don't know, I, I did not mean to make that segue between umbrellas and all weather <laughs> portfolios, but it works. 
So that's, people often wonder, well, if I have so many investments, how can I make money? I'm just going to, well, that's why most investors ultimately end up with over a 10 year period coming back to somewhere between seven and 12% a year, because that's truly diversified portfolio. The minimum amount of risk for the maximum amount of reward for that risk. Uh, and that's what we call it. But Maybe in the interest of time, we've got six minutes on our timer until we go to 30 minutes, Kate. This is not the only way to diversify. So we want to stress that because if you're confused by this financial jargon, don't be. Just know that you do need a few different investments from different industries, from different things. Don't bet your house on one thing. But also there are multiple ways to diversify, as Kate mentioned, like side hustles, extra income. There are having different bank accounts for different conditions. Maybe you have your mortgage with one and your bank account with another. In your super fund, make sure that's diversified, not just something crazy, particularly as you approach retirement. Uh, if you run a business, there is a very alluring thing that if you do the umbrella and hats thing, I'll just do both. In the early days, you can't do both. You have to do one, stick to it and do it really well. And then in the future, consider diversifying, at which point your business will be more mature. So there are multiple ways to diversify. One thing that gives me a bit of concern, Kate, and this is not necessarily a really bad thing, but it's when, say, a, and I'll use the example of a tradie who is a sole income earner, who has a mortgage on their house, who also works in construction, who also has their super with CBUS, and doesn't stop and think that literally everything in my life is tied to property. Literally everything. Now, CBUS has to diversify, but still, Make sure through that linkage, you've broken some of those chains so that if one falls, the next domino doesn't. And think about that carefully. You know, if you need to get advice as well, don't just change your super for no reason based on this one podcast, but that's that. Now, Kate, I'll hand it over to you to talk about the idea of a collector when diversification goes wrong. Yes. Well, we struggle with making decisions and sometimes the decision we make is just to buy everything. And we end up with lots of different ETFs and stocks in our portfolio. And so we might end up with 50 different ETFs and stocks in our portfolio just because we're learning. We can't decide. We buy A200 and we also buy VAS and we also buy IOZ, which are all ETFs investing in large Australian businesses. And you end up with a lot of the same thing in your portfolio. Yeah. And so I think that is where it can you become, as Owen's talked about on the show before, a collector because you're just collecting lots of different things in your portfolio. And I've got one part of my portfolio that looks a little bit like this. It was a, a COVID kind of a little bit of my fun money in my satellite position. And I've got a lot of different, like $30 here and $20 here in different companies. And I'm not staying on top of all those companies. I don't know what half of them are doing. And so that's kind of the point where you have to go, what is actually in my portfolio? What am I invested in? Am I just investing in the same set of companies through five different ETFs? Have I just got for Australian banks, because that's that happens to a lot of older investors in Australia that they realise they've just invested in banks or in construction and they've got five or six companies and they're all investing in similar things. So actually writing down what's in your portfolio and going, okay, what do I, what am I invested in right now? What do I want to be invested in and how can I more align that together? Mm-hmm. And so spending your time Um, writing out a plan, as we've talked about on the show, how do you want to build your portfolio? Do you want some Australia? Do you want some overseas companies? Do you want some bonds? Do you want some property exposure? How are you going to fit that puzzle together? And we talked a little bit on the ETF mini series about building a diversified ETF portfolio. You can do it through lots of different asset classes. It doesn't have to be ETFs, but it's just that got to stay on track. So with the plan, so you don't go on the other side and just keep Mm. adding things without without any endpoint. 
you've got to have some type of plan, just anything. We've spoken about this before, okay, is this idea of people collecting things. We had someone write in who had like something like 50 stocks, 30 ETFs and great investor by all accounts, like he's done his work and so on and so forth. But you see that and you think now, like you said, you had your COVID experiment within your satellite. I think that is completely fine, but you just need to know when it impacts your core strategy. And a lot of people don't know that. So the, this is my bias, but the core strategy should be low cost, boring, no frills. It's going to make you money. Then go and do whatever else you want to do. Go and put 20% of your money, 10% of your money, 1%, whatever you think is appropriate in that satellite and go and buy all the stocks that you love. Go and fall in love with them. We know it doesn't necessarily work to fall in love with stocks, but go and do it and learn and discover and have fun and become a better investor. Yeah. And it's it's all about knowing yourself. If you really want that experience of dabbling in different companies and collecting a few and learning, then limit that to a small portion of your wealth until you really know what you're doing. And you might be prepared to make that a larger position of your portfolio. But knowing yourself, making sure you build a plan that puts your future self first while giving yourself a little bit of room to experiment because otherwise you might do something you regret, like putting all of your money in one company that ends up not performing very well. And I always, I feel quite sad when I read that in kind of things like Scott Pape's column or articles I see online where someone has been really convinced about an idea, put 100% of their wealth or their super fund into one fund manager, one investment and it hasn't done well. We hear about the Amazons and things like that where it has worked out, but it doesn't always work out. And that's the downside of putting all of your money into one thing. So that is why we talk about diversification, especially at the beginning. It's what your super fund's doing. It's what lots of good businesses are doing. So thinking about how can I be diversified in my life, especially as someone new to investing. So later today, we're speaking with uh, Michael Kemp, who worked with the barefoot investor Scott Pate for a while about his new book, The Ulysses Contract. And in that, he talks about this idea of um, someone strapping themselves to the mast of a ship as they go past a very alluring island, which draws them in with all of the signals or temptations of investing. And that's what a lot of investors just need to understand is like, how do I protect myself against myself? Uh, How do I put in place rules and systems to make sure that this is part of what I want to do. And so maybe some of these questions we could put to people are a good base before you make an investment or as you go through your journey, prompt yourself with these questions, Kate. So thinking about what's your long-term financial goal, what are you doing here? Are you here to just try and invest in lots of different companies or do you actually want to build wealth over a long-term with a low-cost diversified core strategy? Uh, then that leads you to the next question. What is your investment strategy, writing that down? And how are you going to invest and what are you going to invest in to achieve that goal? Uh, And then the next one is like, how will I manage things like my tax? Like a lot of people that have a core and a satellite and they have the satellite with lots of stocks, it gets a bit messy. So just make sure you have a way to track that, whether you use Nevexa or ShareSite or some sort of software like that, where you can track that portfolio and give that to your accountant really easily. And don't forget the the share registries also have to fill in your tax file number. Uh, how many positions do you want? And you might say, my core portfolio, I only want five to 10 ETFs and or, and or funds. And then in my satellite, I'll have 10 to 20 stocks and I'll measure them separately to see how they go. Uh, another question, which is very Confucius to a lot of people is like their portfolio often gets out of balance and they think, when will I rebalance? The 
the when is not the important question. It's actually at what point will I rebalance? And that's typically amongst professionals when your portfolio goes from 5 to 10% out of balance. So let's say, for example, you want 60% in growth investments like shares, international shares. And I'm just talking about your core, your satellite. It's just fun money. Go and do what you want. In that core portfolio, if your growth investments, the riskier side of your portfolio, gets to 70%, triggers you then rebalance by selling a bit of that and putting it in the defensive side. Conversely, if it goes the other way, which it can, the growth side can fall, then you take some of the cash or the bonds, all that sort of stuff, and you pop that back into the share side. And that's typically what we find is a, is a good a good way to rebalance. So those are some of the questions. And I just don't think that anyone really pauses because the first thing is they don't necessarily have a strategy. So in inside Rascor, if you're a member, you'll be able to download a PDF which guides you through all these questions and allows you to build your own strategy. So, Kate, we also have a bunch of resources available on Rask Education. In fact, some of the notes from this episode come from Rask Education and I was asked on Twitter about them yesterday. You can find out more about diversification as well as see a lovely little chart that we created uh, that explains it very easily. Um, By heading over to Rask Education, you'll find a link as always in the show notes to free courses and the like. But that's about it. Diversification, we will right on time, maybe just a touch over, Kate, but I think we did pretty well for our standards. So as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Want to create the perfect ETF portfolio? Join InvestSmart's free live masterclass webinar on the 19th of June to learn how to build a portfolio of exchange-traded funds that match your financial goals. Hosted by money expert Effie Zahos and Paul Clitheroe, one of Australia's leading financial voices and the chair of InvestSmart. You'll hear about the evolving economic landscape and what it means for investors, as well as top tips on selecting the best ETFs. Ask your questions live and transform your investment strategy. Visit investsmart.com.au forward slash events to grab your place today. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. 
Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.